언론 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 Welcome to Alone with Peter. I'm your host, and on this podcast, you're going to hear interviews with entrepreneurs, artists, digital nomads, and people seeking personal growth. We'll dive deep into what set them on their journey, where they are now, and how their story can impact you, including any helpful insights if you aspire to take a similar leap of faith. No matter where you are in the journey, thank you for spending some quality time alone with Peter. Today, we're joined by Dr. Dan Maggio. Dan is a board-certified physical therapist who has been practicing in the Phoenix Valley for over four years. As a strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Dan works with barbell athletes and individuals searching to move past pain and improve their fitness lives. The full transcript of this episode, including links to Dan's social media and any reference resources can be found in the show notes on petercursing.com. So don't be afraid to go check that out. Aloma Peter cannot exist without your support. So if you enjoy the show, I would ask you please take a moment to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher. Dan, I am really excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Pete. This is awesome. Uh, it's <laughs> great to see you again and glad we get to chat about some things today. So, Yeah, dude. Well, so the older I get, the more I realize just how interconnected health and fitness are with everything in my life. My mental health, my productivity, even my creativity. So I'm really excited to have you on the show to kind of talk about some of these things because um, as a practicing physical therapist and a sports medicine guy, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a connection between all these things in a holistic sort of way that people maybe don't necessarily think about. Um, so, so in today's episode, we're going to kind of try to touch on Dan, the physical therapist as well as Dan, the <laughs> businessman. Awesome. Um, yeah. So if you're ready, yeah. we'll go we'll, uh, and jump on in. We mentioned before you've been practicing for a little over four years. What does your typical client look like? Um, yeah, right now in in the current setting, so we're in a um, orthopedic um, sports medicine setting, uh, and really we take anything from seven to ninety-seven. So uh, the clinic doesn't discriminate on the patients. It's like, Hey, if you have pain, whether it's your neck, your back, your hips, shoulders, knees, whatever, you know, come on in, we'll treat you. Uh, as far as, man, I've had patients with, um, vertigo, dizziness, um, anything up to even fainting drop attacks. Some of those things where uh, a lot of people don't think that are physical therapy related, man, a lot of this stuff really comes back to muscles, nerves, bones, blood vessels, anything that I guess has that kind of origin to it, that's what we can treat. Really? So, You're, so yeah, something yeah. like vertigo has a physiological yeah. issue that can be like a muscular problem. Oh, definitely. hundred percent. so crazy. Yeah. I know we haven't talked about it before. Yeah. <laughs> no, I <laughs> like really. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? So I'm just trying to imagine like somebody comes in uh, it's like a seven-year-old comes in with what, symptoms of vertigo and they say, hey, Dr. Dan, I need physical therapy for vertigo. Like in that situation, has that person been recommended to you or are you discovering like, oh, what you're really dealing with is vertigo? 
Yeah. So uh, really good question. I think both like twofold, right? So okay. um, let's unpack just one patient with vertigo. And because if you have a seven-year-old, if I, if you're coming in with vertigo, dizziness, that kind of thing, I'm going to immediately assume like you've had a concussion, maybe you play soccer, some kind of sports, you've hit your head and that's where the vertigo is coming from. If you're anyone else, uh, now we're going to screen out whether it's related to your neck or whether it's related to your ear. So inside your ear are these ducts or canals where fluid flows. And in this fluid, it, it creates almost a gyroscopic effect. And it lets your brain know where your body is at positionally. And if you're able to maintain balance, right? So if those things are going out of whack, that's where we can kind of fix that. If it's neck related, yeah, go ahead. So no, I was just going to say, it's basically if the fluid levels in your brain are off, it's going to affect your balance. Is that what you're saying? Or in your ear canal or something like that? In your ear, yeah. So with this fluid, there's a whole bunch of physiology parts that go along with it, but it, it more or less, with the fluid and different particulates in the ear, it's almost like if you, oh, wow, I'm trying to think of a great analogy. Like if you have a cup with water, right? And you turn the cup, but the water still stays level, right? So inside your ear, there's these little rings that are filled with fluid. If I turn these rings, the fluid is still going to try to stay level. And so as well as all the little particulates that are in it, these little like particles, we call them crystals. They hit little nerve fibers that are sticking around the outside of these curves. And so when these crystals hit the curves, it kind of lets your body know, oh, I'm tilting this way. I'm tilting like left and right, you know, if you're watching the video. Um, But sometimes that stuff can, yeah, you're right. I'm sure hydration has a a part to play in it. Uh, I think a lot of people who are older who get this, I think they just don't expose some of their body to these different ranges, whether that's because their neck and their head just can't go there. But yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting stuff. I'm not super well versed in it. You can totally get extra certifications and more education, but yeah. I can't imagine that that's the most typical thing that you're treating. No. Therapy, though, right? <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely not. That's like, that stuff's super rare. And I'll be honest, I, I think, you know, maybe once or twice a month, you'll get a script that says, hey, patient has vertigo, treat for vertigo. And you do your assessment and you're like, I think what you, your dizziness and your nausea, what you think is vertigo is maybe not vertigo. Like a lot of it's going to come back to when I see that stuff, it's going to be the neck. Like I've had great results with treating the neck and then getting changes in the dizziness and even the spinning sensations um, just from a lot of the tie-ins of the nerves at like the C, like your upper cervical level. So So I'm kind of curious because I imagine that the average person coming to physical therapy, it's almost like, Maybe it's second to last attempt to fix something. When somebody comes to you, how does their approach to therapy really meet up with how you're trying to help them? I know I used to work in a hospital, for example, and I could tell you when people are in the hospital, they don't want to be in the hospital. Almost zero, like maybe it's a very small percentage of the people that show up to a hospital are there by choice. It's because something happened and they have to deal with it and they don't know how else to deal with it, right? I imagine it's kind of like that with you. So what are some of those challenges you're running into with that? Uh, that's a that's a really good point that you bring up is 
physical therapy is not someone's first thought when they experience pain. And I think that's a really unfortunate thing because uh, pain is, it's a challenging topic to talk about, um, but it's even harder to then treat, right? Because now you have this complex experience that you're going through. Um, Does it have a really simple answer? Maybe, maybe not. But I think with physical therapy being one of the last things that people see, it's, it's kind of a, almost a last ditch effort sometimes. Oh, I've had two or three surgeries. Oh, I've been to chiropractic two or three times. I've been over to this guy. I've been to this neuromuscular specialist. I've been to this personal trainer. He said this thing. And so it's almost like the people who physical therapy as a profession almost seems to be this back burner. Oh, you go to them after you've had a surgery. And they'll rehab you back to whatever you've had. Yeah. It's really interesting. So that's, that seems to be a really big struggle. So the other day I called you and a friend who is very active, very healthy guy who had hurt his shoulder and he was concerned that he might've damaged his rotator cuff or something. And I, Mm -hmm. when he called me and told me about it, you know, there are all these different reasons why we're talking about it. Um, but one is that, you know, his livelihood, he does a lot of climbing for his livelihood and he climbs for fun. So obviously having an impaired shoulder is a big deal. He's trying to figure out what to do. And so I said, well, you know, I don't know what your course of action should be. I have no idea because I'm not, I'm not in any way, <laughs> you know, uh, professionally geared towards that thing. But yeah, I have this friend of mine, Dr. Dan, you should reach out to. And I remember when I called you, you immediately, and I think this speaks to your character, and it's the reason why I'm, I'm touching on this. You immediately thanked me for asking you <laughs> to help my friend, which I don't, yeah. there's not the yeah. typical response I would expect, but also you're like, anybody I can try to get them to stop doing surgery, I'm all in. Give me his phone number. I want to help him. So tell me about that. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's one less person under the knife, one less person who has to do extra medical intervention. I think. And this is now a little bit of my philosophy, right? Like as a society, I believe we have completely over-medicalized people. Um, I think we, we look at this gold standard of Western, Western medicine as being this pinnacle of like health, right? And I think if we start to dive a little bit deeper, what we realize is that medicine exists on one end of the pendulum to treat sickness and health or healthcare is on the complete opposite end, right? Um, so once your physiology has gone so far to one side, um, that's where people are like, all right, I guess I should get this checked out, my whatever. So I, if I can be somewhere to, hey, stop that pendulum from getting all the way over here, let's try to treat you before we experience a lot of that. So yeah, I think taking a preventative approach is always best. Hey, if it's reactive and it's it's like, let's try to figure out what's going on with the shoulder. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the, um, I'm glad you said the word reactive because that's literally the word that was going through my head is like, do you take a preventative or proactive approach or do you take a reactive approach? And so I guess before we dive too deep into your philosophy, the the last thing I want to say about your current position is, you've mentioned to me in the past that you have some frustration with how that position works. And I guess if you could touch on that, I imagine it has a lot to do with the attitude people have towards uh, therapy 
And and why is it that you feel that's the wrong way to think about it? Yeah, I think you you hit on a very good word there by saying proactive. And it's even harder to be proactive in our super fast paced world that we live in now. So everything seems to be reactive, right? I only take care of my body when my shoulder hurts or when my back is really bad, then I take care of it. But there is an easier way. And that's what we're going to talk about like later today. Um, That's exciting. But yeah, I think as far as the experience that someone gets when they go to a traditional therapy clinic, like, hey, if you're ended up in a PT clinic, awesome. Good for you. Like you're going to get some good help. At the same time, I think it's important to know, like not all physical therapy is created equal. And if you go to probably one of those standard places that physicians recommend, it's going to be more or less like, hey, let's just say my air conditioning in my house is broken, right? I'm not getting cold air out of my vents. Right? So you got a guy who comes out and he's paid by the hour, paid by the minute. So he's going to take a look and he's going to be like, well, you know, I've got uh, 30 other houses to hit today. And you're like, hold on a second. You've got a 24 hour day, probably only working like 10 hours of it. How are you hitting 30 houses? He's like, well, you know, that's my deal. I see that you probably got a little leak here. I'm just going to put a little duct tape around this vent. Tomorrow I'll come back. I'll probably put a little bit more duct tape, see how your air is doing. And then I'll, you know, have a great day. I'll see you later. <laughs> and it's the analogy is not perfect, but in a lot of these clinics, the volume is so high that quite often the the screening is not always best. And so you're left with just almost duct taping the solution and just finding like it's symptom management instead of uh, like being having a keen evaluation process. Right. And I was just listening to one of my um, PT that I really look up to and respect in the field. And it's like, man, you have to really take your time with evaluating people and giving them exactly what they need. And then they don't have to come back. Right. Like that's the point is give this person the real solution, spend the time necessary with that individual. And then you create someone who is independent in their own healing process. That's, that's ideal situation right there. See, that sounds really awesome because you're empowering the client to not have to come back to you. It's, it's maybe in some ways that's um, a business model that sounds like you're not going to see as much work, but I can tell you from, okay, so I consider myself a pretty healthy person. Um, I, you know, I try really hard to, to pay attention to my diet and, uh, exercise a lot for both my mental health and physical. Um, but I've always had an attitude, um, when it comes to going to the doctor, for example, that's been kind of negative because of the times that I have gone to, I've, for, for one, I've worked with doctors and unfortunately my experience working with doctors is, it's not universal, but my experience is I felt doctors looked down at me because I wasn't in the same position as them. That I was somehow less intelligent or didn't understand what I was doing. And that's on the professional level. Now in the limited interactions I've had with doctors going in, like you would think if you know that your clients, so to speak, um, don't want to be there. They really want, they, they're worried about what's going to happen. They want to fix whatever's wrong with them. And, and it took a lot for them to come in there. You would yeah. think when they come to you and tell you, hey, this is what I've got going on with me, that you would spend a little more time making sure that you understand what they're saying and make them feel heard. And also that like, they probably know more about what's going on with them than, <laughs> than you do, at least the be- yeah. beginning, right? There's times when I've gone to a doctor and they're like, they listen to the first few things I say and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, 
hang on a second, bro. <laughs> hang on a second, bro, because I'm the one who I'm the one who's paying you, dude. <laughs> I I'm not sure I want to do that. Like, hold on. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard because uh, I think for the most part, people in the medical field like they're there to make a change and make a difference. The way that medicine is set up, at least in this country, I would say like just based on time, right? It's not set up with the patient at the forefront. Along with Peter. Don't just decide to live with chronic pain. I've done it and it's miserable. It eats away at your soul. It's so important to have a holistic approach to life and what Dr. Dan's doing is so meaningful because he's putting the power back in your hands. You can do something as simple as follow him on Instagram at Dr. Dan Maggio, watch a few one minute reels for things like strengthening your shoulder, your back, your wrist, these things that in the daily grind start to weaken up, strengthen them and start to feel that pain melt away. Honestly, if, if any of this resonates with you, please give him a follow on Instagram. And if you're enjoying this podcast, follow me at Aloma Peter on Instagram. All right, enough from me. That's my call to action for the day. Follow Dan and follow Aloma Peter on Instagram. Let's get back to the show. The way that medicine is set up, at least in this country, I would say like just based on time, right? It's not set up with the patient at the forefront, right? Like the client always takes a backseat. It's not a patient-centered approach. And I would say like, man, if for any of the listeners, right? If there's an opportunity where you can look outside the traditional medical model, right? You go to urgent care, cool. You get your first x-rays, awesome. Then you're going to go to wherever else, right? But try to find someone who might, who still has those same credentials, but are practicing a little bit outside of the traditional practice, man, you could have a way better human experience, right? Your results are going to be personalized and you're probably going to get your results a little bit faster because it's not going to be slowed down by bureaucracy of insurance dealing with, I got to talk to this guy, it talks to this guy, it talks to this one. And they're all not really even talking. Like I can't tell you how many times, man, you send off your, your notes of your evaluation of, Hey, this is what's going on with this patient. Like, I think you should take a look at this, this, and this, and that, you know, whoever's on the other end doesn't have time, doesn't care, doesn't, and like, so communication between providers, even in healthcare is, it's hard for sure. The issue of healthcare as a whole is not necessarily what we're trying to address on this topic, but I find it, it is a very frustrating experience. And so I wonder, you mentioned volume. How much of that is the issue that, because so you clearly want to spend time. You, you mentioned, you know, mentors saying you really have to spend time making sure you understand the, the problem before you start to prescribe, if that, if you will. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. Uh, how do you do that? Because I know you see a lot of people. I do. Yeah. Um, in the in my current full time setting, it's uh, on my long days, probably ten hour days, seeing. And upwards of like 26, 27, maybe 30, like I'll have 30 people scheduled, maybe 27 show up. In my half days, I'll have maybe 17, 18 people scheduled, maybe 15, 16 show up. Right. So there's a little barrier of like how many people drop off. But traditionally, what you'll find is maybe 15 or 30 minute blocks, maybe 15 for your follow up visits and 30 for your evaluation. And I think that might seem like a lot of time for a lot of people. But when you get into it, our field is still a field of therapy, right? There's 
there's going to be, and this is what we'll talk about, right? With pain experience, there's the bio, the psycho, and the social approaches, right? So all of those different ways of looking at pain, that's what we're trying to address in every session. And if it's 15 minutes long, man, maybe I'm only hitting on like a small fraction of what's really going on with the patient. And then to give them a physical treatment, right? Like, hey, if, if this type of pain is going to respond to movement, which, you know, most pain is, um, how am I getting effective movement across to that individual? Mm. You mentioned there's the three areas, the bio, the psycho, and... The social. Social. Yeah. Bio makes sense to me, right? I have a physical issue. I hurt myself playing basketball. I hurt my knee playing basketball. Yeah. Let's run with that example, right? So like, let's say you hurt your knee playing basketball. The bio part of that example is how, what tissues specifically in your knee are hurting from the knee pain, right? Um, Is it a muscle? Is it a tendon? Is it is it the bony surfaces? What, what exactly is going on and what's the physiology related? Are you swelling? Did you tear something? Cool. That's the bio. The psycho part of it, like the psyche is how I, as an athlete or as an individual are perceiving my pain that's going on in my knee. Like, oh my God, like as soon as I, like I landed, I think I tore something. Um, I, this is going to put me out the rest of the season. Wow. Like, And so that aspect of pain can, or of the pain experience can make things a little bit more amplified, right? Because you come down on your knee, like, oh my gosh, like you, we kind of expect the worst to happen, right? You you go Google your symptoms. I think I tore something. It's always worst case scenario. That's, that's how our bodies have adapted over time. So our last one, so bio, the psycho, and then the social is, hey, if this was how me as a basketball athlete, if this is what I do in my pastime, how I decompress after work and, and my social group is all of my athlete, all of the rest of my friends that I go play basketball with, how does me having knee pain affect my social life and how the rest of my friends view me as like having this, this knee pain, right? So it's, it's more or less what I think about my pain and how the world and how I interact with the pain now going forth. Right. If I, if I'm playing basketball and I'm in the inner city, maybe I don't have access to a PT or healthcare. That's also a social aspect of the knee pain. Dan, Um, that's, that's fascinating because we briefly mentioned the word holistic, but this is, I think a pretty interesting illustration of how it, it really is holistic, right? It almost seems like if I have, a strong negative psychological reaction to the injury itself. Is it fair to say that impacts my recovery from that? Oh, so much. Yeah. Also the social aspect, like you said, if it's something, another example, maybe we dive into this in part three more, but let's say I'm, I'm a digital nomad. I, I work on the go. I work a lot on my computer. My wrist is killing me, dude, from all <laughs> the carpal tunnel I'm getting from all the time on the computer. That, is going to affect the social aspect is a nagging injury. Is that in the psychological I'm assuming? Yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. Like, um, just, I think you nailed it on the head of like, Hey, like, yeah, my wrist hurts while I do my job, but how does that affect like uh, your brain's going to start thinking about 
how am I going to provide for my family or myself if I can't do my work with my hand? And then how do I interact with the world around me while my hand hurts? Like I'm not going to like going grocery shopping is going to suck a little bit more if I'm going out in public and doing that, or I can't, you know, hold on to doors, pull that stuff. You could just keep going. I mean, I think about, I spend several hours a day standing inside of a closet that is eight foot by six foot by 10 foot maybe because I record voiceovers in that space. It's very hot in there (laughs) and I'm standing the whole time. That has a psychological effect on me because of the physical constraint that I place myself in. And because of the psychological effect, if I'm not careful, it could have a very harmful social effect in that. Like when I see my fiance, I might be really grumpy with her or whatever else. <laughs> I don't know. This is really necessarily the physical. No, think of totally. it, that's what I think of immediately. It's like, yeah, I told, I can, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> I love this stuff. I, I could go on and on and on with you about this. Okay. So we're touching on all this stuff. I don't think there's any way you're able to get this kind of in-depth with your clients in your current position. And I know you've mentioned you have some entrepreneurial goals. So is it safe to say that your current practice as a physical therapist in a more traditional role is a little different than what you ultimately want to do? That's, yeah, that's definitely safe to say that. I think what my goal with using PT as a way to experience life and I guess, get what I want out of life, right? Like being able to help people in the way that I want to help them. Physical therapy was a path that I choose to say, like, I could, I could probably do this for fun and I really love helping people, but it's got to be on my terms. So yeah, I think right now, just trying to figure out what that looks like and, and make a plan and go forth with it. So. All right. So as we're wrapping up this section, this is where we've been, we've been talking with Dr. Dan Maggio about his philosophy about how to approach pain and manage it. We've been talking about his job as a physical therapist and the attitude that people have towards therapy. Dan, as we wrap up this section, I would love to hear from you. You've been doing this for a while. What was the catalyst for you to pursue physical therapy as a career? Uh, That's a great question. I think it comes back to movement. And to me, like sports were... a big thing until I realized like, Hey, like just moving my body and being in the weight room was sometimes a little bit more fun than like playing basketball or, you know, going to play baseball. Like I really liked, um, the weight room aspects. And so looking at, uh, being a personal trainer through college, um, doing Olympic weightlifting and working at different CrossFit gyms, I really liked being able to help the general population understand like I can become strong, confident, and powerful in my body just by working out. And so that path took me into, Hey, how do I help these people who might be experiencing pain while they do things like CrossFit or weightlifting or just lifting in the gym, right? Like as I'm trying to better my health, I shouldn't be experiencing pain. But what I realized was if we send these people out to go lift weights and go do these things in the gym and they have no guidance, it's kind of like having a baby play in the kitchen. They might get into the knife drawer. They might, you know, stab themselves with a fork. They may be taking a spoon into their eye. Right. And you're like, no, that's a, that's a spoon. It's a good tool, but the way you're using it is wrong. And I think that part, that's what really, you know, gets me on fire to help people in this world of 
physical movement and exercise is the the tools that we have to help work with people. Um, there's no one that's really showing people like how to use them and how to do it in a way where it's it sets you up for success for the rest of your life. I love it. Dr. Dan Maggio joining us on Alone with Peter for the first part of our three-part interview, talking about empowering people to take ownership and control of their pain so that they can find the kind of improvement they want in their life. This has been a really fun interview so far. Stay on the lookout for part two, dropping Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific time as we talk about Dan's past, his current practice, and how that all ties into his entrepreneurial goals. Don't miss another episode. Mash that subscribe button wherever you get podcasts and follow us on Instagram for updates at Aloma Peter.